Would you please open your Bibles to Matthew 6 once again as we continue our series in the Lord's Prayer. And today we come to a portion uh, that addresses the bread we need. That would be one way to think of it. And we're also going to jump down to verses 16, 17, and 18 and consider uh, how sometimes the, the bread we would typically eat is not the priority, but prayer is. And we're so overwhelmed that we actually need to fast. And so we are looking at praying, first of all, because we need to eat, we need daily bread, and then also praying when we cannot eat. Now, to this point, we've considered the who of prayer, and that is our Father who's in heaven. And last week, we looked in a little more closely at that particular portion, that our Father is the King of the universe. This is the one to whom we pray. And then we've begun to look at the what of our prayers, the content. And a lot of us say, I want my prayer life to deepen. I just sometimes run out of things to say when I get through the list of of needs, the petitions. But, you know, a good portion of our prayer should be devoted to praise and thanksgiving, to confession of sin, and also to praying as Jesus has taught us to seek the kingdom, to say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done right here on earth as it is done in heaven. So first we pray for the honor of our Father's name. That's what it means to hallow his name. And second, we pray for our Father's kingdom to come. Now, last week, just quickly reviewing again, there's certainly an eternal aspect, a future aspect of that kingdom. And we do long for that day. It'll be It'll be unbelievable to stand in the presence of God and know that this life, this world is behind us, just a distant memory, and only glory and joy and peace and abundant living is in front of us. But there's also an aspect of the dominion of God our Father that he begins to establish in the hearts of individuals. So when we're praying for his kingdom to come, part of that actually is an evangelistic prayer. And some of you pray that earnestly, on behalf of family members or friends, people that you know and love who are not in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where there has not been this internal transformation, where they've found the power of God's cleansing from all sin, where they've known the free gift of His righteousness being given to them and declared over them, the power of the Holy Spirit coming to reside, a whole, a whole new life begins. Well, that's part of what we're praying for when we say, let your kingdom come. But now we come to Matthew uh, 6 again, and there are more things that Jesus is teaching us we ought to pray. So would you follow along as I begin reading in verse 9? So we're going to go back again to some of the very things I just touched on and then press forward. But I I want to read through verse 18 this morning because, as I said, we're going to grab a few things from that. Matthew 6, our Lord says to us, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now that model prayer is ended at that particular point. And Jesus is actually giving us commentary. And the the pagination of, of your Bible text may indicate that. But some of you may just read on like this is part of the prayer. But we actually think this is additional instruction and it will make sense. Verse 14. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together and ask for God's help and guidance. Father, we are thankful for your presence with us and thankful for your Son, our Savior. We are thankful that the Spirit has come at His departure not simply to occupy a geographical location on planet earth, but to indwell us as your people. What a gift he is. And as we read from Luke's gospel earlier, oh God, we ask for the greatest gift, uh, and that is the Spirit. Would you help us to see what we cannot see, Spirit of God? Would you help us to know what we do not understand? Would you help us to perceive those things that we need to perceive in order that we might walk in step with you as you lead us? Help us not to become hard-hearted, particularly to your word and to your touch. And we ask that you would give us tender hearts, tender consciences. Oh, Spirit of God, illuminate us. Bring conviction where we are in need of it and send your merciful encouragements to us that we might be motivated to turn away from all evil and to turn away to you, the living God. So we ask, according to your word, that you would bless us on this day and you would lead us for your namesake. These things we pray in the high and holy name, the saving name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So if I gave you 60 seconds to name as many kinds of bread as you can, how many do you think you could come up with? Just think for a minute. And even as I say that, some of you, in your minds, you are thinking of your favorite breads. And you're like, ooh, there's, oh, and then there's that one. Ah, and that's right, we can't leave out. I mean, it would probably be uh, an exponentially multiplying list. And then if we all started participating and sharing, that would you know, spur the imaginations and fire the hearts and minds and even the taste buds of others in the room. I read an article, uh, or actually found this at, a, at a, a, a very popular website, and I really don't spend a lot of time there. I don't want you to judge me for, for bringing this up, but Taste of Home, that's a familiar website, and many of you are familiar with it, and I've been educated in this by other members of my household, but they had an article titled, The Ultimate Guide to Different Types of Bread, and I thought, well, this should be interesting. Let's see what they say. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I was very disappointed for a couple of reasons. First, the list is limited to just 25 breads. That's all. And furthermore, in that entire list, nobody thought to name banana bread. Isn't that unimaginable? <laughs> Any of you with me on that? Now, they did redeem and rescue themselves because they included both biscuits and cornbread as part of the top 25. And as a, a southerner by heritage, birth, and all of that, you know, that settled my heart. So banana bread, will give them a pass because they included biscuits and cornbread. All is not lost. I wonder what would be in your top 25, though. 
Bread is an essential food for life. And that's part of the reason there's such a great variety of breads. Every culture has it. Every culture depends on it. Another article I read noted that according to some sources, bread is the oldest type of prepared food in the world. Who would doubt that? I don't. The basic ingredients to make bread are simple. Just flour, water, and a rising agent. And then although most types of Grain are suitable for making bread. Wheat is the most common type. But some of you have experimented with things like barley and rye and millet and corn. And you begin to see God's marvelous creative touch in the variety of grains that with a little water, a little flour, and maybe a a few, or a little water and a little yeast or other ingredients, you can turn into a kind of bread. Some of you probably had bread this morning. Maybe it was a bagel slathered with cream cheese. Maybe it was just a piece of toast. And if you were really wise and holy, you would have slathered uh, a slab of Kerrygold butter across that. That's the very best kind, or so I'm told, right? Some of you say, uh, that wasn't my breakfast of choice. But now that I'm talking about bread, you're thinking about it, and I guarantee you'll have some before the day is over. You know, we love bread, most of us, and we love it for good reasons. Our life actually depends upon it. But now bread actually becomes the focus of the Lord's prayer. And not because it's a popular food item. Not because he's trying to make connections with ordinary people. It's actually representative of a necessity of life. It's representative of one of the most essential parts of life. And aren't you thankful that in being taught to pray to a father who is king of the universe, to pray for really big, eternal initiatives and mission purposes like the hallowing of his name and the establishment of his dominion. God himself does not forget that you and I are dependent today, right now, at this very moment, on him for bread. And so the Lord's Prayer is a very simple expression of our dependence. Look at those two little words, give us. Give us. There's a lot loaded into that, but dependence is the first word that comes to my mind. Many of us who enjoy good health and good opportunities and are gainfully employed often think that we're the ones who actually go out and earn our bread. And there, that, that really is a secondary truth, but you would have no capacity to earn bread If your father in heaven was not giving it. Then Jesus says, pray in this way, give us this day. It's a reminder that we're dependent on the Lord day by day. You know, if it were up to us, we'd treat the supply of daily bread much like people play the lottery or pray that they will win Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. Now, I actually had that written into my notes, Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes, uh, at least Friday. It may have even been Thursday. And I need you to pray about this with me because yesterday morning I received a phone call and it was cut short and the the gentleman called back. So I think this is for real. His name is David Goodman and he said that we are winners of a $4 million prize and a new car through Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. And I'm thinking, Lord, are you answering my prayers? Because Publishers Clearinghouse was in my sermon notes. Surely this is a sign from on high, right? But the, the call got cut short. And David Goodman never called me back. You know, it, it's, it is absolutely hilarious to me that, you know, my, my point was simply going to be that most of us would like to see a lifetime worth of bread in the bank 
or in the pantry. And we sometimes pray in that way, don't we? Think of dedicating children this morning. Parents, don't make the mistake of reading those articles that tell you how many hundreds of thousands of dollars you're gonna need to, to rear that little one from birth to 18. It's an insanely huge number. And it's an overwhelming number, you know, when you're on the front side of that. And some of you will actually calculate, my annual earning power is X, and I got this many years, so I multiply by that, I know what that article said, I'm coming up short. You know what, if God blesses you with a child, he's going to make a way for you to earn bread. You're the secondary provider. He is your provider. He's actually the child's provider. I know that in many of our hearts, we feel like if we really did win the $4 million in the new car, we'd be set for life, right? Kind of. And if God actually entrusted that to you, how many of you think that we would actually live every day by faith? It doesn't take any faith when you can check your bank account and go, oh, $4 million plus interest. I'm doing really well. Daily, we're in need of bread. Whatever is necessary, God is fully committed to providing but he only actually promises us a day at a time. You think of all that is necessary to sustain your life. We do need food. We do need drink. We do need clothing and shelter. We need physical strength. We actually need rest. Sleep is an important part uh, of the necessary things for life. We need certain tools to do the work that God has called us to. We need resources, sometimes to invest, sometimes to fund. We, I mean, even in our, our culture, I would actually say, yeah, I think there's a need for cars and computers. and I mean, there's a whole host of things that generally fall into the category of needs. Daily, that little word daily has to do with, as one author writes, looking to God for the supply of one's immediate needs, not those of the indefinite future. That's what terrifies all of us, isn't it? The indefinite future and the uncertainties and the possibilities that are out there. Oh, Lord, what are the indefinite possibilities that worry you? What are the uncertainties of your future that keep you awake? You have a father who knows, who is actually more committed to the security of your future than you are. Jesus teaches us that rather than worrying and obsessing about the necessities of our life and all the unknown contingencies of this future that we haven't yet lived, we should pray and then get busy seeking his kingdom. Skip down to the end of this chapter. You're already in Matthew 6, but go all the way to verse 25. Listen to this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You know, some of you need to park it right there because you actually don't feel that God values you. You don't believe it. But he's telling you right here he does. You're actually of much greater value. And he values the birds. That's why he feeds them every day. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
It almost seems like a waste that he would cause the grass of the field, the small herbs, the wildflowers to, to carry such beautiful color and glory for such a short amount of time. Isn't that an extravagance that we could do without? Not from God's perspective. He doesn't think it's a waste to sprinkle his magnificent colors high in the mountain meadows in the summertime knowing that the snows are gonna come and they'll all die off. Many of you ski or snowboard right over the top of those pretty places. And when the snow melts at some point this summer, those flowers will emerge again for a brief time. And they bring us such delight when we hike through those mountain trails, don't they? They ought to serve as a powerful reminder to us not just of how great our God is and he is or the value of flowers, but actually of our personal value in his estimation and his commitment to clothing us. We read on. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, There is a pastor that I... I really appreciated his ministry and went to several conferences that his church hosted many years ago, and he was the first one I ever heard use this phrase. He goes, you know, this passage is actually God's clean plate principle. Finish on your plate what he puts before you today, because tomorrow has its own portion coming. We spend so much time worrying and fretting and scheming and planning and trying to sometimes even plot and protect ourselves against what we perceive to be tomorrow's difficulty or evil, and half the time it doesn't even arrive on our doorstep, does it? You know, worry is just the wrong kind of meditation. God calls us to stop meditating on all the the bad stuff that could happen or even the difficulties of this moment, but to meditate on who he is. And in this prayer, the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray for our daily bread. Now, there's another thought that struck me this week, and I think it's really important not only that we recognize prayer as an opportunity to, to express our dependence on God and our need of Him, but it becomes actually a pathway into contentment. You say, what do you mean? It, it's not stated in this particular passage, but there were several other scriptures that were coming to mind. One of them is a prayer from the Old Testament that they, I think is really wonderful, and it's, a, it's certainly a parallel prayer to what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew's gospel. And I I do even wonder if if it might have been in Jesus' heart as he is preaching this Sermon on the Mount. That's Proverbs 30. Turn there with me, please. If you go back even just almost to the middle of your Bible uh, as you look at it, look at Proverbs 30. This is part of wisdom literature, and the Proverbs are always just like short, poignant statements. You know, and that's why it's hard to have your devotions out of Proverbs, you know, and read chapters during a day. There's just too much packed in there. Well, Proverbs isn't designed to be read like a chapter book. So you have these little powerful nuggets of truth. Well, here's one of them. In Proverbs 30, verse 8, here is a beautiful prayer to us, for us to pray. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Isn't it interesting that both abundance and poverty can make a man a functional atheist? 
so comfortable on the one hand, because you got $4 million in the bank now and a new car, you don't need God. So you stop praying. Stop petitioning him even for daily bread. Stop even thinking about his kingdom purposes, that the establishment of his dominion in the hearts of individuals. You just kind of check out because life's good. I got my stuff. It's a functional atheism. Well, it can happen on the other side too where if you pray and you pray and you never see an answer to prayer and you're just dirt poor, you don't have enough to eat, you're exposed to the cold on a winter day like this where you're shivering, you're like, God, I've been praying and you haven't answered, where are you? It's understandable how in that situation a person would say there must not be a God because I'm asking and I'm not receiving, seeking and not finding, knocking and no one's answering. Both abundance and this kind of destitution can lead an individual to a functional atheism. And so the prayer from, from the wisdom of Solomon here is that, Lord, just, just put me somewhere in the middle because I don't want to forget you and I don't want to be so impoverished that I curse you. Well, I think that's the heart of this portion of the Lord's Prayer. You think of some of the other passages that encourage us to trust God daily. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, verse 11, I am, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's unfortunate to me that that last verse has been quoted and, you know, kind of like, almost like absconded to be used in some way when we, you know, you see athletes. And, and I'm not, I, I love so much about Tim Tebow and appreciate his faith, but he was one of those that caught kind of national attention that he would write Bible verse references, you know, on the little black marks under his eyes when he was quarterbacking. And, and while I do think there is application for that, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. If you think about it in its context, what Paul is actually saying, because I have the Lord and because he's promised to meet my needs and sometimes he, he leads me to a place of great abundance and sometimes I, I, it's not overflowing, but I got a little food enough to sustain me for a day. I got enough clothing uh, to, to make sure I, you know, I don't die of hypothermia, but I can do all things. I can do the abundance thing. I can do the tight times thing through Christ who strengthens me. There's so much more going on there than just like, oh, I can you know, write that big research paper through Christ who strengthens me or I can win a national championship through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, but look at the heart of this. There's actually more real life in one sense, that is taking place. Hebrews says, last little reference here, thinking as a gateway to contentment. And contentment is, is just the expression of a confidence in God where his word has really found its place in your heart and you begin to believe him and you begin to live in light of that. The, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, uh, listen to this next part. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Contentment. 
But you know, this little petition of the Lord's Prayer also reminds us ultimately that we need Christ himself. Even the necessary daily bread cannot satisfy the hunger that lives in all of our souls. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you found that bread? It's one thing to know that there's a heavenly who's the sovereign king of the universe, who's personally committed to the daily supply of your bread. But you know, that promise is actually only given to his true children. That's not a universal promise. It's reserved for those who come in repentance and faith and say, you know what, I need more than just the bread that goes in my mouth that will nourish this physical body. I need something at the soul level. I need something for my heart. Well, Jesus is that bread. It's not the bread of moral living. It's not the bread of religious tradition. It's not the bread of superior intellect or knowledge or, or business savvy or expertise in your particular field. None of those things have the power to satisfy the hunger in your soul. And that's why some of you, if you're not careful, you will live out your days of strength, pursuing career, pursuing money, pursuing recognition, pursuing affirmation, and come to the end of that journey and still be eaten up with a hunger inside. Work is a good gift, vocation, marvelous calling from God, but it's not an ultimate thing. Jesus is ultimate, and you were created to feed and nourish and satisfy your soul in him. He's the living bread. When our children were small and learning to talk, one of them pronounced the word breakfast with two T's, breakfast. And I can still hear an echo of that pronunciation in my mind as I think back to those days. And as this child would rise from sleep, it was, it was I don't know, there was a daily occurrence, I wish I could tell you that, but frequently enough, the, some of the first words out of that child's mouth each morning. What's for breakfast? What's for breakfast, mommy? And you know, I, even at, at that moment, but maybe even more so now, that captures with, it, with such a beautiful simplicity and clarity the heart behind this petition where God's children know him and trust him so implicitly that each day they just assume food's on the table. Oh, sure, we are called to ask for it, commanded to pray for daily bread, but there's a confidence that as we rise each day, the Father has already been in the kitchen pulling things out of the pantry, providing exactly what we need on that day because we're his kids. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English pastor of the last century, wrote... When I pray, I know that God is my Father and that He delights to bless me, that He is much more ready to give than I am to receive, and that He is always concerned about my welfare. I must get rid of this thought. I must get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desires and that which is best for me. I must see God as my Father who has purchased my ultimate good in Christ and is waiting to bless me with his own fullness in Christ Jesus.
Oh, more than just a satisfying bowl of your favorite breakfast cereal. God wants to supply something for your heart that will be eternally satisfying. And that's nothing less than his only son, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, who laid down his life on the cross to die the death you and I deserve for our sins, who shed his blood that we truly might be cleansed of all unrighteousness, forgiven all of our sins, the guilt, the shame, the fear, the alienation, All of that removed from us forever so that we might be brought near to the God who created us and near to the one who says, I am your father. Is that not compelling reason to pray? That's very different from, well, you know, good religious people pray as part of their religious routine, so check the prayer box today. No, there's a relationship that is is more spectacular, more precious than most of us really can fathom or even try to fathom. God is not standing between you and your desires and that which is best for you. He's already purchased what is best for you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We heard Jesus say in recent weeks, this Father knows what you need before you ask. And now you begin to see and sense his eagerness to meet you right where you are. I don't remember one time in all the years that our kids were little, that they asked a question like, what's, what's for breakfast? And my wife said to them, nothing, you little vermin. I don't even remember her saying something like, I don't know what's for breakfast. Go get it yourself. That's not what parents do. We read from Luke, if you being evil, that just means you're not perfect parents know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give you what is good? And Luke speaks specifically of the Holy Spirit. It's a whole other message. Paul says in Romans, if he did not withhold his only son from you when you were dead in your sins, guilty for your sins, deserving to be condemned forever for your sins, if God did not withhold his only son from you when you were in that desperate condition, How will he not also with him freely, that is graciously now, give you all things? What's on your need list? Now, I know I said that we're going to go to verses 16 and 18, but we can't. I can't do it justice. I'm really in a quandary because Matt and I laid out a preaching schedule. So maybe we'll come back to fasting sometime later. You can read ahead, though, and meditate on that because it struck me this week that there, there are times where you are praying for your bread or other times of such urgency, such deep need, where you say, Lord, I've got no appetite. Or I'm actually going to choose to set aside some ordinary things, like eating and drinking, or I might fast from social media, or even, even good relationships, to seek God, to pour my heart out for Him. Because at this point, we, we feel vulnerable, we feel threatened, we feel the weight of our sin. There are all kinds of things there, so I'm just giving you a little foretaste of that. But in both of those scenarios, we are praying to a Father who is full of love, full of grace, full of wisdom and power and and a boundless supply of goodness. But if we don't pray, we miss something profound. Will you bow your heads with me? As we do, can you populate a list of needs? Like, what's pressing your heart this morning? And some of you are saying, oh, Danny, I... I love this, I needed this, but I, I, I can hardly concentrate on Jesus' words today because my heart is just so overwhelmed at this moment. Your Father knows.
I don't know how we're going to pay that bill. I don't know how I'm going to meet that particular need. I actually don't know how I'm going to cook the rest of this week because my pantry is so scarce. What's, what's your daily bread that's lacking? As you populate that list, can you picture yourself holding that list and then looking up to your Father who is in heaven and, ex- and extend your arms as far as you can by faith, just visualize this for a second and say, Father, will you give us today the bread that's necessary? Father, help me not to be anxious about tomorrow, just like you said. I don't, I don't need to be anxious. I'm trying not to be anxious. Been anxious for too many days in the past, but I, I'm trusting you. Can you picture your father not only receiving that list, but of taking it into his almighty hands with all of his wisdom and understanding and, and looking at you in the eyes and saying, my child, I know. I knew you were gonna share these things with me and I know there's actually more that should be on the list. You're not even aware of it yet, but I am. I love you and I'm committed to providing. For some of you though, your conversation with the Father right now needs to be along the lines of, Father, I'm hungry in my soul and then I've been trying to satisfy that hunger in a human relationship through my career, through academic success or athletics hobbies, recreation, there are a thousand things that we think are gonna satisfy the the hunger in our souls. But the Spirit of God actually was bringing conviction just a few moments ago when we were talking about that and it's time for you to say, Father, I need the bread of life. I need Jesus. Will you make that request of him right now? Then there's a third thought I want to put before you and that is that some of you like so many of us, are fiercely independent, fiercely autonomous. And for whatever reason, you kind of think it's all up to you or, and maybe even to this point, you've been smart enough, strong enough, healthy enough, creative enough to make it. Friend, don't keep living that way because you're gonna come to the end of your resources at some point and you don't have to wait until you have bankrupted those resources to turn to God. You can acknowledge it right now and say, Lord God, I've been living as if I'm an atheist. And you bow before him and acknowledge his lordship right now. Father, there are all kinds of needs in our hearts. Multiple needs in each individual heart. But there's not one need within us that you will not meet through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. There are physical needs here that are very real. Some of a financial nature, some of a health nature, some of them of a relational nature, but it impacts us in a, in a very personal, even physical way. And I ask that you would be gracious enough to meet us one by one as a church family and give us today the bread that's needful. Spirit of God, would you move in and out of these rows of seats, heart to heart, soul to soul, speak, lead, rescue, settle, do all your holy will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.